0: You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert four and I am one of your hosts and I'm joined as always today by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly.
0: Hey, Robert, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited for Go our ahead. conversation. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. If only you had said, oh, I'm so tired today, because that would have been oh, a good segue. Oh, that's but right.
0: Yes. Oh. If only we'd scripted it out. Yes.
1: <laughs> we, uh, we, that joke awesome. will make a lot more sense in a second here for our listeners, probably. Uh, we are so excited to also be joined today by Lisa L. Lewis. Lisa is a freelance journalist who covers the intersections of parenting, public health and education. She's written for The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, Slate and a bunch more And she's the author of The Sleep-Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired, and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I
2: am doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. Besides that, the bio that I read right there, is there anything else that our audience should know about you? I
2: think that pretty much covers it. And I should just say I have been immersed in this topic of sleep and specifically teen sleep for close to eight years now. So it has definitely turned into sort of an obsession one might say. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's actually a pretty good segue in and of itself. Can you tell us a little bit about the backstory, obviously to this book, but then just to being obsessed with teenage sleep for eight (laughs) years, right? Like what what, what happened?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I, I guess I should even say more broadly, I'm obsessed with sleep. I'm somebody who For whom sleep doesn't always come easily. So I, you know, absolutely Mm. hunger for, you know, information about sleep just in general. Mm. But in terms of the teen sleep piece of it, um, I'm a journalist, as you mentioned, primarily parenting related journalist, but I'm also a parent. And so um, that is really what um, drove my interest in this topic specifically. And, and when I say it's going on eight years, it's just about seven and, a half, seven and a half years now because the month and year when this all really hit my radar was August of 2015. And that's Good. because that was when my oldest of my two kids was just starting high school. So um, at that point, our local high school started at 7.30 in the morning. Earth. And that is what really suddenly you know, brought this to my attention because it was affecting him, of course, but it was affecting me as well. You know, I, as a parent, of course, I, you know, was very aware of how it was affecting him. But I was the one driving him to school every day. We'd leave the house at seven ten, you know, certainly not an optimal time for anybody. But it was super obvious that it was way too early for him. So you yeah, know, he'd be sitting there in the car, and he was technically awake, but he was not alert at all. And, you know, there I'd be dropping him off for a full day of school, followed by practice and just seeing, you know, very quickly how this really early schedule was just too early for him. So that's what led to me starting to look into this issue specifically of school start times and Uh delving into, um, you know, was our school the only one that had this? Answer, of course, was no. There were schools all around the country starting this early. There was also a body of research out there saying, yeah, 7.30 is too early. Schools should start later because of the link between these early start times and teen sleep deprivation and all the things, that all the implications that that has. So that's what got me involved, and it all just snowballed from there. Um, I mentioned I started writing about the issue because I'm a journalist. One of the articles that I wrote was an op-ed ran in the LA Times the following fall, so September of 2016, it was called, Why Schools Should Start Later in the Day. And that ended up being read by one of our California state senators. Just so happened at that point in time, he had a teenager of his own in high school. So it resonated with him. Reading my op-ed was what literally prompted him to look into this topic Mm -hmm. further ended yeah. up introducing a bill on it. I got swept up in it and it just everything just kind of uh, continued to snowball from there. And so long story short, that I got was involved in that whole journey, ended up leading to our state law on school start times. And that was also the impetus for me writing this book.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. that is so fascinating. I mean, that's amazing that, you know, it's so neat when you can see those, how those efforts end up like, that's not obviously what you were thinking when you were writing the op-ed initially, but then or just you, pro- you probably weren't anticipating how big of an impact it would have. But how incredible to get to actually see that the whole way through and see the how the way that your um, representative took that and and ran with it. Like, that's amazing. I love Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, it truly yeah.
2: was something I would not have predicted and um, yeah, my initial efforts were focused locally. I had started a chapter of there's a group called Start School Later. So I'd started a local chapter. I was hoping to make a difference locally. Didn't really make any headway locally, but ironically, it did end up, you know, spurring the statewide effort that ultimately did lead to the law going into effect, which affected, you know, virtually every single. Public high school and middle school in the state, including mm-hmm. the ones here in my own district. Oh, yeah. that's
0: amazing. And we
1: can, I'll link to Start School later in the show notes because I know I've used their website a bunch of times because they, had, I mean, they've just compiled all sorts of articles and research about school times and the impact that that has. So I'll make sure I'll, I'll throw a, a link to that in the show notes.
2: Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. they are a tremendous resource and I was heavily, heavily involved with them throughout this whole legislative process. So yes, props to them and credit where
0: credit is due. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, so we're certainly, you know, you're starting to, to tell us a little bit about, obviously that sleep is really important, especially for this age group in particular. I'd love to hear if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, how much sleep do teens actually need and, you know, maybe on the kind of on the other side with that is like, you know, what happens if they're not getting enough sleep? Yes. Yes.
2: So, um, and great question about how much sleep do they need? Because I feel like it isn't always as widely understood as perhaps it should be. And I put myself in that category too, you know, before I, I became immersed in this issue, I certainly didn't didn't know, you know, much of this that, that, that I now do, um, starting with the amount of sleep teens should be getting. So according to the National Sleep Foundation, up until age 18, our teens should be getting eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. And that is uh, obviously a range because there is human variability, but that's more than most people tend to realize because we always hear this you know, eight hours being sort of this magic number which is awesome for us as adults because our range is seven to nine hours. So it's right there in the middle, but it's the minimum for our teens. And I should also point out that range of eight to 10 hours is for 14 to 17 year olds. So if you're talking about younger teens and tweens, they need more than that. They need nine to 11 hours of sleep every single night. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so when you talk about eight, you know, that's not even a range for say a 13 year old. And yet we always hear eight hours and people sort of think, oh, well, if my kid's getting eight hours, that's great. Well, it's unfortunately, it's not so great. Um, and then, you know, as far as, well, how many kids are getting this amount of sleep? Sadly, far too many are not. Um, there will be new numbers released this year from the the, uh, the newest Um, youth risk behavior survey that the CDC does. But as of right now, the the most uh, recent publicly available data is from their 2019 YRBS. And at that point, when they surveyed high schoolers about a whole range of health behaviors, so one of them was on their sleep, only 22% of them said they were getting at least eight hours a night. So that just gives you a sense of how widespread this issue is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so widespread and people, you know, don't tend to realize what that means. It's not just, oh, so your kid's tired, so what? I mean, it really, it has such vast implications really for everything. I mean, there's not one single thing that any of us do better when we're sleep deprived. And that's especially true when we talk about teens. So, I mean, and there's so much to say about all these, but just quick overview. (laughs) It affects their school performance. It um, contributes to drastic driving crashes. It um, affects their risky behaviors, basically, because it lowers some of their barriers in terms of, you know, impulse control and judgment and things like that. And it has huge implications when it
1: comes to mental health. Yeah. 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 For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So I know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Holly.
0: Well, I was going to say, especially because, you know, when I think about how like this age group is where we begin to see such a large onset of mental health struggles, you know, across the course of, across the lifespan for individuals. Like I can even imagine just how that all complicates as you're layering a lack of sleep on top of the onset of mental health struggles around this time for many folks. And yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's, it really is serious. I mean, basically when you are sleep deprived,
2: it exacerbates mental health issues. So that can be depression, that can be anxiety, can also be suicidality. And that like, is something in you as a parent that just you know, sends shivers down your spine. When you, when you think about that, but suicide, unfortunately, is a very real risk when we are talking about this age group. Um, the highest risk of suicide is during the preteen to young adulthood years. And I think the, the really, really sort of um, sobering thought here, the takeaway is just to, to, for parents and others to realize that the less sleep our teens get, the more their
1: suicide risk goes up. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not just the the sheer number of hours, right? One of the things that I've found most fascinating that I've learned over the the past handful of years, partially from from yourself, right, following your work, is the kind of the I guess you call the sleep window of teens shifts later, right, where they start producing melatonin later, and then it continues in their system for later in the mornings, right. So when we think of a classic teen who's like staying up late and then sleeps in until the afternoon and you know, all this, the, the judgment we can heap on that, that's actually like a, a really natural thing that's happening there, right?
2: Yes, yes, and that's such an important point. Thank you for bringing that up. Because they do yeah. have what, it's, it's called a circadian rhythm shift because it has to do with their natural sleep schedule of when they're feeling sleepy and ready to fall asleep and when they're feeling ready to wake up. And it does uh, shift later. So basically when our kids hit puberty, That's when you start to see this shift, Um, and it is tied to melatonin and the timing of when melatonin is released, which is a hormone that um, essentially primes us to feel sleepy. So when our kids hit the adolescent years, um, melatonin begins to be released later at night than it used to, and it doesn't subside until later in the morning. So that's why, yeah, compared to, you know, younger kids, like if you've got a six-year-old, you see they bound out of bed at six thirty in the morning, they're super happy and alert and, and you know, ready to, to go and, and attack the day. And a teenager is not feeling that way at 6
1: 30 in the morning.
2: But on the other end, you know, nighttime, well, that kid, that the young kid will run hard all day and then they'll crash. You know, they go to bed early. But a teen is not feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night because of this later release of melatonin. So it isn't as if they could just go to bed at, say, 9 o'clock. And then when you think about the fact that, hmm, they should be getting either 9 to 11 hours for those early teens or 8 to 10 hours for for 14 to 17 year olds, they can't fall asleep till at least 11. And of course, many of them are going to bed much later than that. And then they have to wake early for school. And you can see why they end up not getting those 8 to 10 hours.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, in terms of the rest of the conversation right, I have kind of two chunks that that it kind of falls into one is okay if if they're if they're having to wake up way too early in ways that are unnatural and all that right like how do we help you know how do we help with some of that and then maybe we can talk about the falling asleep part, right okay, at night, different things that impact them, things like that. but in terms of waking up, typically that the uh, I'm not getting enough sleep in the morning is because of I have to get to school or activities, right. So how do we, that seems like something that, I mean, obviously you ended up helping influence California's, but for parents or whoever listening, they go, okay, well, I can't, I mean, what do do I just have them not go to school, right? Like, how do we, how do we grapple with that?
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. That is such a driver of teen sleep deprivation. I mean, that is the reality that when schools start too early, it really is cutting into teen sleep. So, and I realize that isn't something where as one parent, you know, listening to this podcast, they can't go out and immediately make that change. However, they can help get that movement started where they are locally. They can get involved in that conversation. And that gets back to the group Start School Lady you mentioned, which there are chapters. These are all volunteer led around the country. In fact, in other countries too. And up until now, up until California's new law, which was done statewide, Every single change that's been made to, make, to to change to a later schedule has been done locally. It's been done, you know, perhaps at a city level or county level or district level, or sometimes it's even just one single high school. But up until now, that is how all these changes have happened. So absolutely, yeah. it is something where parents can get involved and, and have an impact. Two things I would say about that. The first is that I personally do think that state legislation is the best way to do this because um, yeah, up until now, yeah. it's been, as I said, driven locally, but that's been done on a patchwork basis. And obviously, there, that takes so many more individual cases of having to effect change. And it really does feel like this should be handled statewide because it's a public health issue. And there was something second mm-hmm. I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was. It'll come to me, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it does, feel free to, to <laughs> throw it out there. But yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting, just the idea of trying to change some of those locally or I mean, I know you said it's a public health issue, which it is. Maybe uh, there's a strategy in there. And again, you can get some of this from your book or from Start Schools Later, whatever, right? Like, but I know even, you know, test scores and academic things. And so maybe if those are more compelling to your local whatever, then you go with that, right? Like, absolutely. Even ideally, absolutely. you would say overall, it's healthier. But, you know, sometimes different things are more compelling.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I, I the second thing that I was going to mention was that um, start times are a critical piece. Because if you have a school that's starting, literally some schools out there are starting at 7 a.m., I mean, there's oh no amount of sleep hygiene you can do mm-hmm. that's going to fully counteract that. So I would look at school start times yeah. as an essential piece of the equation, but it's it's not the only piece. I mean, just changing start times is not enough to ensure that teens get enough sleep, but it is absolutely a critical piece of that. But to your point that, yes, you know, you, if you especially if you're talking about it locally, figuring out what's going to resonate the most. You know, in some cases, knowing more about the academic um, gains is something that is going to resonate, particularly at a district where where that matters. Or so where you talk about things like how later start times have been shown to boost, um, attendance they've um, been shown to decrease tardies and absences there was actually a very influential study that was released in 2017 this was done looking at um, 29 high schools in seven states that had changed their start times at various points in time so this wasn't all attributable to you know it having happened at the same time or something like that but on average the graduation rate at these schools, Went up from seventy nine percent to eighty eight percent two years wow. after they had changed. So yeah, that's huge. Oh my I gosh, god! Mean, that really yeah, awesome. that is huge. Yep. I so, mean, and that
0: has such long term implications on those students' lives too. that oh, absolutely. Just, yeah.
2: Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I and mean, when you look at things like increased graduation rates and what that means in terms of their future earnings, and, and there have been studies, too, looking at that. What are the economic implications of this? In fact, um, the Rand Corporation did a very influential study on that, um, and I have those details, but of course, I don't have it at my fingertips, so ask me that a bit later, and I can tell you the answer. Yeah.
0: Well, I certainly would you know, thinking through, like, the start times and how important that are, but I would be curious, too, about, like, you know, are beginning to shift into discussion a little bit about, like, what are some other things that we can be doing or what are some things that, you know, at, at home that parents might be doing or able to to do to support kids, recognizing, like Robert was saying, like, we can't we can't all change the, the start times of school, but, like, what are some additional things we can do at home to support, um, you know, sleep hygiene among our kiddos? Yes. Yeah. And that's a a great question, because there is that piece in the
2: morning, which is school start times, where by and large, the school um, start time is what dictates what time your kid has to get up. But looking at it on the other end, what are some of the things that may be contributing to really late bedtime? So one of the first ones is over-scheduling. And so one thing that is, uh, I think, really helpful and can be really insightful for parents to do or for teens to do themselves is to just look at all of the waking hours in their day and how those are currently allocated. So there's a set number of hours that your kid is in school, but then there's also hours that your kid spends doing homework for each class. And some classes may have uh, heavier homework loads than others you know, if they're taking AP or honors level classes. And then of course, most kids have other stuff going on in their lives too. So the school bell rings, but they may be staying there on campus because they're involved in extracurriculars. You know, maybe it's sports or it's band or it's speech debate or whatever else. And then there are kids doing that outside of school. Kids who are doing things like club sports. Then some of them have jobs. So to add up, sort of the cumulative effect uh impact of all of these um activities that you know may be uh, taking place in a given day and seeing after you add all those up is there still even an eight to ten hour window left in that 24-hour cycle to give your kid the opportunity Ooh, to yeah, be able yeah. to get enough sleep and if yeah. you add it all up and you see that there's not maybe it's time to reevaluate And to look at, are there places where you might be able to, you know, take one fewer advanced level class? You know, that one class isn't going to make or break your kid's future, but it may be having an impact on their ability to get enough sleep.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Which will affect their future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I do have, I mentioned earlier, so if you want to add this in. So when you look at the longer term impact of things like the increase in graduation rates when schools start later there are longer term implications too and in fact there was a range report that came out in 2017 showed that later start times could boost the u.s economy by 83 billion dollars within 10 years wow. and wow. that was based on things like this increase in graduation rates the increased academic performance and another piece that we don't think of but which absolutely is relevant which is the reduction in car crashes, because mm-hmm. when you are sleep deprived, that contributes to drowsy driving, which unfortunately, you know, the mortality rates associated with that. So when they looked at all of this and looked at the cumulative benefit after shifting start times, again, U.S. economy up by 83 billion within 10 years was, was their projection.
0: Oh, my
1: goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's worth noting even, you know, when you said, take a look at the schedule and see if there even is that that window for that amount of sleep that I I don't think you mean even like, yes, there is exact you know, you could get home at this time. And if you fell asleep within 15 minutes, then you could wake up, right? Because we need time in there for transitions and winding down. That's right. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about a thing, something I hear from parents often in, because I, I work a lot with adolescents in, in my therapy practice is. Well, they're up all night talking to their friends and so that's why they're not going to sleep but if you're scheduled with activities until 8 30 at night I mean teens want to be social right like we all want that and so you have to factor that in that's just the, the realistic nature right so not even just the exact time window but like being realistic with other needs that they have and and you know okay. in the process oh, of falling asleep and yeah, you know. absolutely
2: yes because you're right that doesn't take into account things like meals you know, or needing, yeah, personal hygiene. Yeah, yes, you're right, there's so many other things that they need to to, to happen in, in the course of our days as well. But that just sort of gets in broad strokes, you know, if you see that right. how c- completely scheduled your teen is. But yes, they need time for other personal needs. They need um, time to decompress. Um, they need time to be able to wind down. All of that is so important. But I, I just wanted to follow up to you just mentioned about tech. And sometimes parents, you know, sometimes say, oh, well, it's it's just because they're on their devices. You know, they just need to get off their phones. <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, you it, it, it's, it's true that not just teens, but we all spend so much time on our devices. I mean, they are omnipresent uh-huh. at this point. However, tech use is not the prime driver of this teen sleep loss. And studies have shown that. And the other thing is, this whole issue of teen sleep deprivation predates smartphones.
1: Right. So well, it really uh, isn't uh-huh. that that's
2: sort of, you know, the the culprit here. Uh, that being said, though, it is certainly possible to sabotage your sleep by being online. You know, if you're up till 3 a.m. playing video games, of course, you are cutting into your sleep time. So, so th- there is a, a balance that needs to be struck, but... It's not that that tech is the enemy. And in fact, tech is uh and and being online and being on social media is a really valid part of our kids' social lives. You know, it right. does have a role to play. Um mm-hmm. the specifics have changed, you know, by generation. Like when I was in high school, there were no smartphones. Um, but I was on the telephone for hours. That was how I stayed connected with my friends. So uh-huh. that's you know, that's what kids are doing now. They are you know, often that it's a vital part of their social lives. So to recognize that, but then of course there is the, you know, there are the other aspects where it can be cutting into sleep. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky balance.
1: Yeah. You know, it's an interesting parallel that I've never made before, but as a somewhat new parent, right? My kids are both pretty young and with other newer parents uh, I think there's a, a recognition of the idea of sometimes I stay up way too late because that time feels like, oh, I can do whatever I want, right? Like I, I could, like last night I watched an entire movie that probably kept me up too late, but it's not sure. a movie I'm going to mm-hmm. watch like kids and, and, you know, so I get home from work and there's kids. So like, so that factors in and it's interesting. I'm thinking about teenagers, right? Okay, I wake up and I have to go to school for a huge chunk of my day and then activities and then homework. And so it makes sense that after that time, there's the the impulse and the urge of like, yeah, I want to do things that are fun, that are enjoyable, that connect me with other people. Like it makes sense if that's the only time that is kind of built into the schedule, which maybe that's one of the the, the shifts over the last couple of decades, right? Is like, the, our 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 kids and teenagers are so heavily scheduled. Like you were mentioning that there's no hanging out at the mall time or whatever it is, right? Like you know, obviously that's just a whatever. But that that time, just like that's the time, that's their free time. So. It makes sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. Perfect.
2: Well, and it's funny too because there's a there's a term for that too. For for instance, what you were doing, which is, um, bed, uh, is it sleep procrastination and bedtime procrastination. Um, yeah. But essentially, where you do finally have this little window where, where you can you know be the one in control of your time, and so so often that is what we end up doing, um, and and you know because we are so overscheduled the rest of the time. So, yeah. So, and, and the other thing is that all of these things that we're doing on our devices are in so many cases deliberately designed to keep us hooked and to keep us all mooring as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Christmas so maybe is- not so much with the movie, but if you had been streaming a show, for instance, and you do that and you see how it just sort of seamlessly leads you into the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, you take an action to turn it off. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so, so even as adults, we, you know, we've all prayed to this. And then for our teens who, because of the stage of brain development they're in, they, um, they don't have as much impulse control. They are more um, mm-hmm. sensitive to um, mm-hmm. rewards. They, they call it sort of mm-hmm. reward-seeking behaviors. So all of the things, you know, a lot of the, the, the aspects of tech play into that. So, you know, likes on social media play into that or leveling up in video games. So, you know, yeah. it's possible, too, that people have great intentions if they're only going to be online for a little bit of time, but they sort of get sucked in because that's
0: essentially as yes, they were designed to be sucked in. Yeah, no, I I mean, and I love hearing you unpack that. As much as I know that is difficult for several folks because, as you're saying, like these these devices and the apps and, you know, Rara and I have lots of conversation about this at times and <laughs> the ways that... <laughs> That these, that these things are, you know, they're they're literally designed to keep us in, you know, pulled in. So one thing I'm wondering, I'd just be curious to hear what you think about this, but like you're saying, obviously our teens are continued to, you know, there's these ways that they're just kind of wired to keep staying in this and perhaps avoid sleep. There's ways that, you know, as you mentioned, like it mirrors for adults and, you know, and it's hard for adults to because of the ways that these devices are wired, or that you know the show, there's no there's no pause; like it just goes on to the next one. So I I am curious to hear what you think, or how we model this for our kids in recognizing, you know, especially around getting enough sleep, when recognizing that this is really hard for adults and parents to do this. So like you know yeah like just this i just feel this tension between parents struggle with this for lots of reasons but we want our teens to be getting enough sleep um obviously so i mean what would you say to that tension yeah no that is such a good point because so many adults are not getting enough
2: sleep either i mean first of all just to put that out there Mm -hmm. so again for us the range is seven to nine hours and some people you know that's a range because of human variability some people need to sleep on the higher end of that range to really perform and Uh feel their best. So what I think is so important is to make sleep a family priority. So to recognize that it is important for us too, not just for our teens, and to model good behaviors, as you mentioned, Um, And in fact, you know, there are best practices that we can be instituting in our households and not just instituting them for our kids, but showing that we are doing these too. So things like not keeping our phones in our bedrooms at night, best practice to have a central charging location, you know, like in the kitchen or something like that. But again, that's where our phones need to be also. Um, and, And to recognize too, the value of things like having a wind down routine, So, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends no tech use an hour before bedtime. So, just for parents even just to know that that's the official recommendation. Now, granted, that can be hard to put into practice. You know, an hour Uh is a a, a long time frame. Maybe you even do a half hour, but just to recognize that being on tech until the second you turn out the light, or even after you've turned out the light, your head on the pillow still on your phone. That's not conducive to drifting off to sleep. So, trying to um, have that window of uh, ideally an hour, even less if it, you know if, if you need to, but some window of time where you're not on tech and where you are instead doing something that's a sequence of steps to help you kind of make that transition into sleep. Not to just be going, oh. going, going, like as an adult checking your email or checking the uh-huh. headlines on your phone. And then trying to fall right to sleep for a teen, not being involved in a, you know, social back and forth or playing a game, or whatever, right until bedtime, and then expecting to fall, asleep. having something else like reading a book or taking a warm bath or something that's just you know ideally non-tech and that does help you wind down as opposed to something like that that's keeping you engaged and alert.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that. I mean, that even could be, my guess would be the, the 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 way to go about that might be to have some of those types of in-depth conversations, right? Hey, what, what were you doing before bed last night? How how was, you know, how do you sleep? How did that make you feel, right? As opposed to just, okay, don't do this, don't do this. Obviously, there are some hard boundaries we can set, but with adolescents, they're, you know, they're going to push and find ways around, and so, you know, helping them establish those you know like figure that those things out for themselves is probably helpful in the long term as well you know because you want them to have those kind of skills as as an adult but um
2: yes yes yeah. and yes so such important points because yes once once they move out you're not there to be the you know gatekeeper of okay turn off your phone hand it to me like they do have to ultimately take responsibility for this but even while they're under our boots um having them having their buy in mean so much more than, you know, just sort of telling them how it has to be and having them engage in that discussion, as you mentioned, and having it be an ongoing discussion too. How did you sleep? Oh, well, you know, what about this? Have you be thought of that? And just having them understand all this kind of information that we've been talking about, about yeah. why sleep matters, about technology, even the way that some of these um, technology apps, etc., we're designed to, to to be immersive. Talking about that kind of stuff, you know, just sort of all of this and having it be part of ongoing conversations. Yeah, that's a, a that is exactly you know the right approach.
1: Yeah. So I know obviously technology is is one that comes up a lot because that's a kind of a go to before bed. I mean, like I said, I was you know watching a movie and probably for some chunk of that time also scrolling on my phone, right? Like. Um, But I'm curious uh, of some other things that you would recommend. I mean, I know, and and I'll shout out the book, if you want more in depth and more tips of, of all this stuff, definitely I would recommend this book because it gets incredibly practical, right? But I know you write about the timing of caffeine or even the the amount of caffeine, which if we go back to like, how do we model that would be a fun challenge for most of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I know you mentioned over scheduling, but are there if if there were, you know, two or three uh, other tips that you would recommend in terms of, hey, throughout the day and into the night, here are some, you know, here would be a, a couple that I would recommend uh, in, in the non-tech area. Do you have a couple that, that you would kind of start with?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the biggest one I'm sure mentioned is just to make sleep um, a family priority and part of an ongoing discussion. Because I think that, that that's probably at the top because it, it's not just about our teens. It's about the fact that A, they're going to be more bought in if, it, if you know, they feel like they're part of it, but also we're modeling good behavior for them. And we ourselves, when we are not sleep deprived, are probably going to... paving the way for better interactions with our teens as well so you know that's probably the top is to make sleep a family priority the tech piece we talked about having a wind down routine we talked about Um, a couple others so like you mentioned caffeine being aware of the fact that caffeine can keep you up at night and it's not that you know caffeine in itself is fine if you haven't had enough sleep or as an adult if you're used to having your coffee in the morning that's fine but remember uh-huh. that caffeine has a half-life of five to seven hours, so uh-huh. that means after uh-huh. that, about a time about half of it is still in your system, and so that's why if you have caffeine too late in the day, it may make it hard for you to fall asleep then at a reasonable hour, and then that's just going to perpetuate the cycle. So I think being aware of that, because our kids are not necessarily drinking coffee, or if they are, they're drinking like Starbucks things, but you know right. energy drinks, you know that may be what they're turning to, and so. That is something to be aware of.
1: Um, Mm, That's a good point, Robert says, drinking a caffeinated drink at (laughs) almost four in the afternoon.
2: (laughs) Well, and yet there is individual variability there. So if you find, you know, you can build up a tolerance. But if you have trouble falling asleep uh, at night tonight, then you might want to say, "Hmm, maybe tomorrow I will have a two o'clock cutoff for caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah and see how that works. I know for me, it's true. I can't, I know some some adults will order coffee after dinner at a restaurant. I could never do that. I do not know how they manage it. You know, obviously their systems, I guess they built up more tolerance, but you know, nevertheless, that five to seven hour half-life for caffeine is a real thing. Um, So yeah, so if you have caffeine too late in the day, certainly that can, that can make it hard, you know, to fall asleep on time. The other thing similarly is if you take a nap, which again is fine, but you need to think about not napping too late in the day and not napping too long because same thing then when it comes time to fall asleep. If you have sort of, you know, done anything, taken a nap, had you know energy and whatever that makes it hard to fall asleep on time, then you wake up the next morning when your alarm goes off, you haven't gotten enough sleep, you're just perpetuating that whole cycle. Oh, those
0: are helpful. Those are both really, or yeah. those are each really, really helpful tips. Um, I'm gonna be texting Robert tomorrow too to be like, "Hey, when she stopped drinking coffee, or <sighs> any caffeine, not coffee, because I don't think you drink coffee anymore, but or maybe
1: you have picked that. I back do. Up, no, but. I <laughs> don't. know. I don't. I don't really like okay. coffee, but yes, yeah, that's or funny. energy
2: drinks, yeah, because those, you know, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's one I of the main
0: ingredients, caffeine. No, <laughs> that's that's good. That's good, and something I'm gonna need to put in my back pocket too. So thank you." <laughs> Um, well, one of the questions that we love to ask our guests, just recognizing that you have poured so much into this this work in general. And you know, even from you know, at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about the op ed and how you've integrated this within your family, but then also how you're continuing to advocate um, for more awareness on this area, we, I'd love to hear, you know, Lisa, what what is your hope for this work that you are doing? Well, I would say in the shorter term, I would hope to see
2: more states um, taking, really looking at what California did and um, taking some inspiration from that to pass similar legislation. So, and I should mention that California was not the first state to introduce a bill on the topic there have been countless other states that have introduced bills over you know the course of the last couple decades but we were the first and up until this point the only state to enact a law that sets minimum allowed start times so Uh every single other state out there there is still the opportunity for them to do so and there are other states that have current bills under consideration which is really really terrific new york new jersey um, Florida, Texas—I think I'm probably forgetting at least one—but they have active bills under consideration that would do the same, would set minimum allowed start times. And then there are a couple other states that are that have um, what they call study bills. You know, that, that, yeah, you know, be it resolved that we will study this issue. Which to me, it—how much more studying do you need to do? I mean, this research has been out mm-hmm. there for decades. Um, but to, but for I fair. think. What I would really love to see, and I know there are so many people out there working on this, is similar legislation at the state level
1: beyond California. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. Yeah. I love that. Well, listener, if you want to connect with Lisa, you can do that at lisallewis.com on Instagram or Twitter at lisa l. So that you flipped around. Or you can buy this book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive, wherever you get books. You can connect with Holly at HollyOxhandler.com or on any social media at HollyOxhandler. You can connect with me at robert or on any social media at robertvor. Lisa, thank you so much for this book and for coming on and uh, sharing with us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? just
2: that it's, you know, every, every day is a, is a new day to, to practice some of these new habits. So, you know, again, like it, it, for you thinking of caffeine, for instance, I know for me, I'm still working on how to not get sucked into my phone quite as much. And I, at one point had set limits and then had taken those off. So maybe it's time to reinstate those, but we can always be, you know, looking at our own sleep hygiene thinking of our own sleep and recognizing that when we get a good night's sleep, you know, it, it, it helps across the board.
0: Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH at gmail.com.